All of us want to live a long life, but most of us don't want to go through the aging process. I'm Sharon Betters, and I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. John Dunlop about the aging process, but in particular, dementia. Dr. Dunlop, I first met you through your book, Finishing Well to the Glory of God, Strategies from a Christian Physician. So I was immediately drawn to your book, Finding Grace in the Face of Dementia. I can imagine that a diagnosis of dementia in a loved one is terrifying and probably frustrating for people to navigate the maze that their loved one is going to be experiencing. Your own life experiences with loved ones diagnosed with dementia and your many years as a physician for geriatric patients, I think has probably equipped you in ways you probably don't even know to offer hope when someone hears that diagnosis, not only for the one that's diagnosed, but for the caregiver. Thank you so much for sharing your message through this Help and Hope resource. Oh, Sharon, and thank you for inviting me because as you probably can tell, this really is an area of passion that I have. It comes through. I've I've listened to some of your um, messages online and your podcast. And listener, I recommend strongly that you Google Dr. Dunlop and go and listen because he offers so much hope for this, especially this season of life. And I'm 71, so I'm thinking about this last season of life. And I'm so appreciative of the guide that our guest, Dr. Dunlop, is for us. But before we dig into the topic of dementia, would you just share with us how you spend your days and what gives you purpose? Oh, sure. Sure. I'm pretty spoiled at this time of life because after working for 38 years in the Chicago area, uh, practicing medicine, we moved here to Connecticut. We live a mile from our younger son and his family. So I can be a, have a lot of grandpa time, uh, but Yale uh, was gracious enough to let me work three days a week seeing patients, which is still uh, something I so much enjoy doing and doing a little bit of teaching at the medical school and then working with some of the Christian medical students, uh, both through our church and uh, on, on campus. Life gets pretty full. But it's 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 really enjoyable. It sounds like it, and uh, maybe someday in the future we can talk about the struggles of the changing from one kind of life to another, like like letting go of what we were to figuring out where God is calling us next and the challenges of that. So I I know that for us, my husband retired a couple of years ago, and it it can be very challenging find that place of purpose and joy again when you have to let go of so much of, of what you are used to and accustomed to doing. So I'm glad to hear that, that your life is so full with some of the, the very same things that gave you joy in the first seasons of life. When you went into, you were trying to decide what field of medicine to go into, why did you choose geriatrics? Well, actually, geriatrics was not a, a specialty when I did my training. So I was an internist, did internal medicine residencies, and then was certified as an internist. And after I'd been in practice for about 10 years, geriatrics has especially organized, and they allowed those of us who were basically practicing geriatrics to take the boards without doing additional training. So I love to say this, I grandfathered into geriatrics. Well, we're glad you did. 
Well, in particular, it's obvious that you have a tremendous compassion for those who have been diagnosed with dementia and not only the patient, but the caregivers. So what is the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? Is there any difference? Well, uh, dementia is a larger category. I often say it's like the word car. And Alzheimer's is a particular form of dementia. So it would be equivalent to, say, a Ford. Now, Mm. 70% of dementia is Alzheimer's. I think Mr. Ford Ford would love to have 70% of cars before, but it is the most common type. What is it like for someone to have dementia? I realize that's a really big question, but maybe just a few. Help someone who hasn't had dementia to understand what the person diagnosed with dementia is probably experiencing. Well, yeah, as you say, that's a huge subject, but For the most part, dementia starts fairly slowly. Those who are afflicted start making more mistakes. They can embarrass themselves more. They don't remember quite as well as they did. Now, I often have to tell people, you know, forgetting people's names and stumbling over nouns is part of normal aging. Everybody thinks when they forget a name that that's a sign of dementia. It usually is. I mean, sometimes it will be. But they start, their their memory lapses start having more of an impact on their lives. Mm -hmm. And they feel frustrated. They're embarrassed. They know they're not functioning as well as they used to. And uh, it's really hard. And then you go in more to the second stages of dementia, where people really start needing help. They can't live independently anymore. And then it's even more embarrassing. It's even more frustrating. People know that they're declining. And, and then in the third stages of dementia, people are totally dependent. They really can't do anything for themselves. And actually, come that stage, I don't find it nearly as frustrating to the patient. It can be more frustrating to the caregiver but the patient himself is kind of, you know, as often sits there with mind kind of empty and not really thinking much. And at that time, I think one of the biggest things they can feel sometimes is loneliness. Mm. And uh, they that's when they need other people around them. Because even though, well, I, I remember my mother-in-law who was getting into more severe dementia and she was in a, in a facility that was quite close to my office. And I would stop by at the end of work every day. And then one day she told Dorothy, she said, you know, John doesn't love me anymore. And uh, she was really upset. And Dorothy said, well, why do you think he doesn't love you? Because he never comes to see me anymore. Well, the fact is I did come, but she just didn't remember it. That isolation and loneliness Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that because I'm thinking of a person who in in their last years of life would say the same to her son. No, you never come and visit. You never call. She was never diagnosed with dementia, but it was clear that there was something not clicking there, you know, that she was not remembering the many times that her son had called, that he had visited. And I think if we had a better understanding as you're sharing 
it would be easier to know how to respond when those kinds of things happen. What do you find are the, the questions that you're most asked about dementia, either from the caregiver or from the patient? I get a different set of questions, usually from those who are believers and follow Jesus. And they're often more interested in what is God doing? What are God's purposes here? Is this a result of sin? Is this a judgment? What is God's purpose? What's he trying to accomplish? And then in in the non-Christian world, it's a lot more of, well, how can I do to make this better? How can I improve the quality of life? And I hear there's some Christians too, but those who aren't concerned about the theological implications, it tends to be much more of those practical, how do we do it questions? How do I get the help I need? What type of help is available? When we lost our son, Mark, he was our youngest. He was 16. And uh, the, the initial stages of grief, I remember those kinds of questions and telling my husband, I feel as though if I weren't a Christian, this might be a different kind of journey. Of course, it would have been, but it might have been easier on some levels because not only did I have the grief over the absence of our child, but I was dealing with my heavenly father and how could this happen? Why would you let this happen? I know you didn't need to let this happen and all of those kinds of questions. And yet that wrestling with the Lord in, in that dark place really drove me to know him and love him more as I understood his character. So I, I think I know the answer to this question, but how important is our theology when we are faced with such a broken place? Oh, if if only we could really understand God's purpose in in suffering uh, and allow us to experience the frustrations and the difficulties of life in a way that draws closer to God, make us more dependent on Him and not Uh, questioning his goodness. Mm. I appreciate what you're saying about being dependent on him. And I think the older we get, the more we recognize the importance of dependence on him and then how dependence can actually be a gift to us. And as we recognize our relationship to the Lord, but also for others as they are able to serve us in that. Although I'm a very dependent person, so it's very difficult for me to accept help. And so maybe that's why it's hard sometimes for me to recognize my dependence on the Lord in everything. It's a lifelong battle, but it's a a good journey. I think the older that we get and the more that we we wrestle with those great truths. You have uh, experienced dementia in people that you love on a personal level. What was that like for you? What was Um, maybe one of the hardest parts of watching loved ones struggle with dementia. Now, I'm going to go back and tie this into what we were talking about just a few moments ago. Uh, My closest friend over the years was my neighbor. He was a great guy. We would take two kind of trips uh, each year, either an overnight bike trip or one night we went cross-country skiing. We spent a lot of time together, and we would – just sit and talk about issues of faith because Jeff would not ever say that he needed to trust Christ. He he said, I'm independent, I'm successful, I don't need 
his help. Then he developed a form of dementia, and later on in his dementia, he was willing to say, I cannot do it by myself. I need Christ. He turned in faith to Jesus and I think was born again mm. through his faith. And would that have happened without dementia? You know, it's in God's hands, but from a human point of view, probably not. It was such a blessing to see him change. Mm. Now, in terms of my own family, uh, my, my father developed a form of dementia caused by multiple strokes in his later two years. And he was getting somewhat confused and moderately uh, impaired, but he was still pretty functional and so didn't get into severe dementia. My mother, on the other hand, uh, developed true Alzheimer's. She progressed right through to the third stage. She was living in a nursing home and uh, had excellent care, but she would get to the point where she would not know me. She would actually think I was my dad. And uh, I, I, you know, I quickly learned to try to correct her. So when she, she said, oh, Bob, I'm so glad you came to see me, you know, my response, rather than saying, oh, but mom, I'm John, I'm your son, I would simply say, Lois, I love you. And uh, not try to dispute her and uh, kind of learned to play along with what she was thinking and to get into her world and not try to contradict her, her view of things. What did you find or what do you find is the hardest part in caring for someone with dementia? I, I think for many people, it's the, there's a lot of anger associated with dementia. There's often anger from the patient and over and over and over again, I've seen that anger most expressed toward the person they're most dependent on. And that can be so frustrating. I know, in spite of what I said before about my mother-in-law, mother, I was her Prince Charming. I mean, mother could say nothing bad about me. Dorothy would come in and mother would just unload on my wife, uh, complaining about everything. And they would frustrate Dorothy so much. Um, but that's what we often see. Yeah. And uh, so there's the anger. There's there's oftentimes the apathy. You, you come in, you have plans. Uh, yesterday, you know, dad was able to get up and go to the dining room and have a nice meal together. And today he just sits there and refuses to do anything. Uh, there's good days. There's bad days. There's that apathy where you just don't, don't want to engage in things. They won't do what they we know will make them feel better. That can be so frustrating too. Well, that leads me to the next question that I have is, what counsel would you give to a caregiver that's faced with these kinds of um, uncertainties? And I mean, I appreciate what you said about it. the one that that is the caregiver is often the one who is gets the brunt of the frustration and the anger. And so how how does a caregiver remember that this is not the person, it's not their fault. 
it's not that they're trying to be mean spirited. And I mean, do they try to challenge them with, you know, that's not nice. You shouldn't behave that way. How, how does a caregiver get through the day without feeling totally guilty? Or is that just part of it? You know, once again, it'll depend on where you are in the stage of dementia. Early in dementia, practicing reality, kind of helping people get back into reality can work. Uh, but later in dementia, it just has to be, the, you have to validate what they're thinking, like I did with my mom. It is sort of vary a lot. I imagine that I mentioned guilt, but I, I imagine that that's a big issue for caregivers is I haven't done enough or I was impatient. I shouldn't have gotten angry. What does a caregiver do with their guilt? Sometimes it just requires biting our tongues, realizing that God is in control. This is not a horrible tragedy that he is not in control of. Sometimes we need to recognize that God uses dementia in the life of the caregiver, Hmm. that uh, this is a experience the caregiver is going to grow from. It's not always easy. Most of us love the image of our being clay and God being the potter. But, you know, not many of us would want to be flopped down on a wheel and spun around at 500 RPMs and have our rough edges knocked off. And sometimes dementia does that for the caregiver. But we have to pause and ask, who more would we want to be our potter? Who more can we trust? To, to grow us, to mature us, to knock those rough edges off mm-hmm. than our loving Father. Well, it kind of goes back to what you were speaking to earlier about dependence, that as painful and as, I mean, I just can only imagine the painfulness of a loved one going through this and being the caregiver and watching and knowing that there's very little you can do to help them regain a quote-unquote normal life. And so you have to have someone to run to with that helplessness. And to those who love Jesus drives us to the cross and really, I think, presses us into that need, that recognition that he alone is our rest, our our rescue, our refuge. Um, Psalm 62, David talks about that, about how God alone, uh, it's often called the alone psalm, because over and over again, he says, God alone, God alone. And I appreciate what you're saying about how it is like being put on that potter's wheel. <laughs> and God alone is the one on, on whom we ultimately can depend in, and run to. I think that's, it's important. We've been talking about faith. It, obviously, your faith is important to you. So you have often said that those with dementia do not diminish in their intrinsic value because they are image bearers, even though they have dementia. That cannot be taken away from them. What do you mean by that? You know, I I think many, many of us as Christians, I think, have a false understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. Many people feel that refers to our attributes. You know, God is creative, therefore I can be creative. God is wise, therefore I can be wise. And, and I think in some ways there's truth there. 
But I think the true image of God goes far deeper than that, in that it's an intrinsic property that we all have. And the, the importance of this is to recognize that our human dignity is rooted in our being made in God's image. And we do not lose that dignity when we no longer reflect some of those attributes of God. Mm. Martin Luther King said it probably more beautifully than anybody else, of course, in a different context. But he said that there are no gradations in the image of God, that the image of God is equally true of the Nobel laureate as it is of the most demented person uh, uh, in the world. Mm. And we need to keep that in mind because the image of God was not lost by the fall. Mm. It's interesting, Genesis 9 talks about uh, our being made in God's image. In James, we read about the person who we're so frustrated with, we really want to swear at, but James reminds us that he is made in the image of God. And it's that basic human dignity that's true of all of us, whether demented or not, which gives us dignity and I think should, uh, should set the tone for how we respond to these folks. That, I think, could be a dramatic shift in caregiving to have that realization, you know, that when when it's in some of the darkest moments of the caregiving is to remember this person is made in the image of God. And so I, that's going to change the way I treat them and think of them and care for them. And I personally think that caregivers are, they're angels that when when my mother-in-law was, had to be in a care facility, we of course got experience with several different kinds And the first one she went into, I cried all the way out because I knew that the people who were caring for her did not have that perspective. And so within 48 hours, we had her moved to another facility where there was a definite difference in the way that she was cared for. No matter how distraught or upset she was, there was kindness and and dignity in the way that Mm. she was treated. So I think that's a message that I know that comes uh, from your faith. And your faith, obviously, as I've said previously, is very important to you. Tell us how your faith in Jesus gives you hope in the field of geriatrics, because you are helping people in their last season of life. And so sometimes what we would say is hope for someone in their 40s may not be possible for someone in their 70s or 80s or 90s. So how does your faith in Jesus help you uh, be hopeful, even though you are helping people who you may not be able to help live what we would consider a quality life or even a longer life? You know, when I'm dealing with believers, and my practice in Chicago was probably 70% believers because we were a Christian group. We were known as that in Christians wanted Christians actors. So it was uh, such uh, a blessing to take care of people who knew what was ahead. They knew they were going to see Jesus when they died and that uh, uh, he was going to be there to welcome them home. In my present practice here in Connecticut, I don't have nearly as many Christian 
people. And it's most of the people who are coming to the end of life don't really have any categories to put that in. And they, they just feel that death is the end and there's nothing beyond that. Sometimes if you can talk to people and I'll say, well, there's other perspectives, but there's not a lot of interest. So it's hard. So how do you feel hopeful yourself as you are interacting with people who don't have a faith basis, they don't have a relationship to Jesus? How, how do you continue to offer the hope of the gospel? And how do you speak to yourself about that hope so that you can still get up in the morning and still meet with people and care for people who may not have share the hope that you have in Jesus? It's not always easy, but for, for myself, I mean, I know that if the Lord brings dementia into my future, which statistically is a pretty high probability, I, I will I be one day in God's presence fully restored and fully healed and will reflect then the full in the true image of God and uh, what I was designed to be. So that hope keeps keeps you going. Uh, and uh, in terms of offering that to others, uh, you just you have to sense their openness, force things on them. But if they're open, then you can have a discussion. And one thing that, that I have found over the years, even with non-Christian people, uh, I, several times really in my career, I said, now, could I just share with you the hope that I have in Jesus? No one has ever said yes. Mm -hmm. But if I say, now, can I pray for you? Almost everybody says, oh, I would love you to do that. Mm -hmm. And you can pray the gospel very effectively. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us. And that all we have to do is trust you and we can know you as our Savior. And just as effective as talking any other way. Dr. Dunlop, thank you so very much for sharing in such a rich conversation. I personally could sit for hours and pick your brain and talk about this topic and aging, finishing strong, because it's on my mind a lot personally. But it's also, I, I would say to our listeners, don't wait until you're in this season of life to start thinking about these things. Start thinking about finishing strong when you're young. I know when I was in my early 20s, I began to see the difference between aging people who were life givers and those who were life takers. And I knew that I wanted to be the life giver for as long as God gave me the ability. But I also knew that I couldn't wait until I was old to become that sweet little old lady <laughs> that I needed to start when I was young. So mm -hmm. I heartily recommend um, Dr. Dunlop's books. We will have links to them on our website at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And he has written, as I said earlier, one on finishing well to the glory of God and the second uh, that I'm familiar with is Finding Grace in the Face of Dementia, but there are other books that he has written. And as I said earlier, Google 
Dr. Dunlop, and you'll find where you can hear him speak and share even more in a, a really powerful way. So thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go to markinc.org where you will find more resources like this, more stories like this, where we try to offer help and hope through the stories of people who have experienced life crises that are often experienced in isolation. They're hard to know how to help the person who is experiencing those places. And of course, dementia is one of those places where we just, we really need a lot of guidance and help and coming alongside of those who are struggling, but also help the caregivers. So thank you again for listening. And I pray that you have been encouraged by this Help and Hope interview and that you will let us know how God has used it to encourage you in your own life.